connecting the classics with some albums we don't like that we're going to make you like, <laughs> you know, more than I know. Back again. Back again. We pick albums every week. This week, I texted Lee, my co-host, Lee Robinson, and I'm Will Hagel, music writer, music enthusiast. And that's Lee Robinson. We're going to discuss. <laughs> He's a music enthusiast, music curator, music DJ. We don't need them anymore. But he knows more than I know. And you know more than I know if you're listening along, following my rants, that we're going to transition into JJ Kale Ride Me High. And I was mid-sentence and I trailed off there. I was going to say I texted Lee that this might, these might be our two worst albums that we've ever chosen. Because the premise of the podcast is we each pick two albums and then we connect from one our album to the other person's album using tangential references resulting in six songs of Kevin six songs of separation Kevin Bacon style and so I was telling you that I think you know both these bands feel significant worth talking about especially Fishbone Um, but I think maybe we could have chosen songs instead of the full albums I think both albums maybe were a little undercooked or you know didn't have a cohesive idea that was really laid down in a way that like compared to last week where we felt like you had these you know with my bloody valentine or even american football these like cohesive project statement projects i think undercooked is a perfect way to put it um but the band that i think i fired first with fishbone uh the reason i picked it is because i was reading dante ross his new book son of the city sneak plug for Dante Ross, Son of the City. But it was a good book. I enjoyed it. He's like a A&R guy who worked with Old Dirty Bastard, like KMD, uh, Brand Nubian, Leaders of New School, signed a bunch of crazy acts, like especially early hip-hop, and he's also big into punk. Uh-huh. And um, I was interviewing him, and I think by the we're going to have guests on the podcast eventually, and that, so we got to practice our interview skills, and that was yeah. probably one of the worst interviews I've ever done in my life, because my oh, questions no. were bad. His answers are great, but I just didn't ask good questions. So going on the record for that. But one of the questions I asked him was about Fishbone because uh, in the book he references how big of a fan of Fishbone he was and how he's like, they're one of the bands that he wishes he could have signed. And then he kind of talked in our interview about like how they, you know, Jane's Addiction, Red Hot Chili Peppers, even like Sublime, who we talked about in a past episode are all these bands from around LA who kind of blended funk and ska and reggae and punk and were like alternative music and they got a lot of the white bands I guess got popular whereas Fishbone didn't but I always like Party at Ground Zero it's an undisputed classic it's yeah. not on this album so I thought I'd just go back and listen to their debut album to see what they sounded like so you fired this without really knowing what it was going to sound like? Yeah, I'd never listened to it. Well, I had listened to a couple songs. And how did it hit your expectations? The more I listened to it, the more I liked it. So I think they Interesting. were... I don't know if you want to just say what you listened to, and then we can jump into some Fishbone, maybe. Yeah, that yeah. That be the Why best don't way we, to do it. So I fired back with uh, Cleaners from Venus, uh, 
under wartime conditions. Uh, 1980s album. The main guy of that group, his name is Martin Newell. Sort of a lo-fi, left-field pop kind of guy. Um, his, I think he's a brilliant songwriter, very prolific. Um, but I think as I was listening to it, I realized that sometimes his projects can suffer from sounding like a demo instead of a you know a full album. So mm. um, he definitely seemed undercooked. I would say to me, Fishbone just felt like they didn't have a cohesive direction. They felt like all over the place and didn't really have, yeah, I don't know, nothing really to like, I'd like one song and then they'd go in a completely different direction and I didn't like it. So it was just all over the place. Yeah, and we're going to be getting in right now to one of their more ska-oriented songs because Party at Ground Zero, do you know that song at all? Uh, no. Uh, we might have to play it at the end, but that's like their probably their biggest hit and that's a great song, but that's kind of how I got to know them. Uh, I think they were really n- well-known for having like crazy live shows and yeah, part of, I think, what attracted people to them was that they blended so many unique styles when i was reading Mm -hmm. up on them too is like it's the fisher brothers and one of them was just called fish i think the drummer they were in high school and they got like bust from south central to um the valley where they met up with some other musicians in high school and like some of the interviews i was reading from the 80s were talking about how they had kind of like a cultural exchange of funk from you know south central to like uh aerosmith in the valley and like classic rock and then they kind of just fused a bunch of different genres um so party at ground zero is kind of a ska song so is this one from the album that i chose their debut album i forget what it's called fishbone charlie funky bass for lee yeah, a lot of great bass on the album. There's a great live version of this where they're performing in Bordeaux, if you look it up on YouTube, and they call all the French women up on stage, and everyone's dancing along with them. when you shake your fat derriere i'm also seeing that fishbone did a cover of date rape by mm. sublime i believe it so definitely that southern california so kind of like what dante ross was talking about too is music around this time in the 80s was still racially segregated so fishbone is like a all black band i'm pretty sure yeah and uh so it is interesting that some of the white bands that played this kind of music broke through whereas they remain kind of lesser known i guess yeah this song in particular i hear that sort of sublime sound a bit like reggae but you're right then like one song will just like this song's kind of a joke reggae song then they have some more like politically motivated songs and then they have like i almost went with a funk song so i don't know if we want to get into it but great definitely 
Chalet? You hinted at like how a lot of the white bands, you know, Sublime and Red Hot Chili Peppers got a lot bigger than they did commercially. And uh, I was reading that there's sort of ideas suggested they were blacklisted because of their political ideas and their music. Fishbone? Yeah, Fishbone. I could see that too, but they do have just a lot of like goofy party kind of songs too. Totally. And, like crazy energy. I couldn't so I decide like, if that's like a 90s thing or or what. I think it's 90s, but I think also what we've kind of talked about on the podcast before is I think LA kind of has, like the LA rock scene has a weirdly... The other thing about this, it's like weirdly diverse, I guess, which can almost be a bad thing because there's like so many different styles going on at once that it ends up being like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Like even something like Jane's Addiction who was another kind of contemporary or a little bit older, I think, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It just came off almost like, I just kept thinking it sounded like circus music. Yeah. It's also a lot of, I don't know if it's minor key. It's like a little, I felt this about your album too. It's like a little bit off in that it's not yeah. like it's catchy, but it's kind of a off tone. I don't really know how to describe it. Yeah. It's just like, it does. I think it's a '90s thing too. Or I think if you like like Tool and like that kind of, you have that weird sensibility where you like it to be a little bit off, mm-hmm. then it appeals to you more. But uh, other thing on Fishbone, they played their first show ever at Madame Wong's, which I didn't know much about. But uh, Esther Wong was a woman who owned a club in Chinatown in L.A that started hosting punk and new wave nights and like a lot of bands broke through there and they call her the godmother of the godmother of punk nice but i was trying I'll to look up to get a sense of like maybe they're just young that's that's the other thing i was like maybe the sort of goofy flippant aspect of their music could be that they're just young and it's i think that's definitely part to of it that. too before we leave fishbone i definitely got a, a far side sort of crossover as well. I don't know if you felt that. One of the songs, there was a part where the singer was kind of like rapping and singing and it sounded just like, uh, what's his name in Farside, who does the like sing rap stuff. I could kind of see that or know what you're saying. Um, that's Slim why, Kid um, Trey, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, because it's like, And we've talked about toasting in the past too and how yeah. like reggae and you know, we we all we listened to Modest Yahoo one episode. We all know about <laughs> reggae. Yeah, pretty much. All right, we'll go to Cleaners from Venus. So yeah, it definitely he, the guy and it's he sort of embraces the lo-fi aspect. So there's def, there's like warble and his guitar might not be in tune. Um, one of the tracks, a song for Sid Barrett, kind of gives you an idea, like uh, very much embracing sort of psychedelic pop. But yeah, this is 1984 and the tracks, there's a couple of really standout tracks for me. One we're going to listen to today is the opening track. Had to make sure Will didn't pick it This because we've been picking all the same songs. But this is Summer in a Small Town. Now that it's officially summer here in this Evergreen podcast, launching in. This is two years before Fishbone, mind you. I'm not going wow. mad, I'm not going mad, I'm not going mad, I'm not going mad. Great opening. 
definitely a lot of like interstitial like song sound bites and stuff like little audio bites like embracing the lo-fi sensibilities like if you can't be in a professional recording studio then just like embrace how crappy it sounds <laughs> i like that kind of like tom waits bukowski style yeah conversational describing a guy yeah at the bar So the other aspect too of the sort of lo-fi is he was, um, I guess, known for selling cassettes, like sort of a, he would record on eight track uh, machine and then just like hand out his cassettes as his preferred medium to distribute his music. So he gets a lot of, I think, cred in the cassette world. Which I've never gone too deep in, but you know, sometimes artists will only put their music out on cassettes. Yeah, and they had they kind of a, a new renaissance of that. Yeah, we saw it pop up again for sure in the last 20 years. So would this be considered post-punk or is this more just like pop? In this to is just lo-fi. pop, but yeah. there's definitely elements of like dub in there, like with the uh, drums. But yeah, like jangly pop is how I think of it. Just in that he's like one guy kind of writing pop songs is the other part. It had a similar sound to me to Fishbone, almost a one-to-one connection. Like especially with this, like the carnivalesque. Yeah, like totally. This sounds kind of, it just sounds a little off. <laughs> yeah. I can't explain it. It's like a guy just randomly playing notes on purpose. Yeah. What like did you have any imagery or like when you're listening to this without any like context really? What like what were you imagining? Yeah, I didn't look anything up, but I guess I I was th- thinking about genre and does genre even matter? Like with Fishbone, 
or I don't know, I guess because we've talked about post-punk on the podcast and kind of just, and like goth rock. And we've actually covered a lot of music from the 80s that I wasn't quite familiar with before the podcast. So it's hard for me to contextualize it too, because I feel like I know the other eras a little bit better. And I didn't get into this kind of music until later in my life. So that's why I was wondering, like, is it post-punk? Because it's like kind of, does it sound like Joy Division a little bit? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I did read in Wiki, he kind of got his roots in glam rock. Like he when he was in, I could see when he's that. younger, he'd do like glam rock cover band. But I don't know. It's just, it to me, it's like one, it, it comes all out of the idea that it's like one guy with like... A, I didn't know it was one guy either. I mean, he's the main guy, I guess. There, I think there are multiple, there's one other person Like I looked up nothing, I guess, while I was listening to it. So it was kind of weird with no context. But yeah, I, I felt like it, I felt like they were messing with me. <laughs> I almost felt like it's like almost it's almost good. Same thing as Fishbone. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, same as Fishbone. The more I listened to it, the more I liked it. Yeah, it's a lot of cool textures and there's like cool moments, but I think as a whole, it just um, isn't fully there. Yep. Compared to some of our albums we've done, does Cleaners from Venus have kind of a hit song? Like I was saying, Fishbone has Party at Ground Zero. Um, no, I mean, they're, they're very much like a cult classic kind of group that I think has even gotten bigger in the, you know, left field world of, of, you know, the two thousands where people have collected their music. Is that how you found about, out about them? Like record collecting? Yeah. yeah and I think what's fun about it is because it sounds a little off, it's kind of a fun take on pop songs where. If he played it clean, it might sound exactly like a song that already exists. Yeah, that's really interesting. Which I feel like My Bloody Valentine is kind of similar. Yeah, so it's like I found myself gravitating towards music that, you know, it's like jazz from Japan. And it sounds just slightly different than American jazz. But it's like it's fun to hear sort of a obscured take on something. The uncanny valley of music. Yeah, exactly. And it's also like a lot of these albums that become sort of record collector yeah. pieces are things where they they were doing something unique while recording it, I think, yep. too. We got to yeah. do a Motown episode. I'm just throwing that out there, thinking of how they mic'd Motown drums and stuff like that. Yeah. But well, we'll, we'll get to miking drums oh, for a little later. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. We don't plan this. I don't know if the people know, but this is like uh, cross... American trans American jazz pod pod <laughs> never mind. <laughs> All right, minus five points. I forgot to say we're also a competitive show and that's minus five points. Lee is in the lead. All right, I'll pass it back. Let's uh I'm I'm curious where you went after Fishbone. All right. Well, I'm sure everyone is guessing where we're going. It's very obvious. Launching in, I'll explain it as we go. Charlie's like a freaky song about getting with a big girl. Okay. And another song I almost picked, Knock It, is about something about your ding-a-ling or something. Yeah, a lot of like vulgar song titles. Yeah, almost like they were super freaks. Nice. <laughs> Launching into not Rick James Super Freak, but MC Hammer. Can't touch this. Can't this. Touch this. Nice. Can't touch this. Wait, hold on. Have you played this on the the podcast before? No, I don't think so. Okay, good. Can't 
touch this. Can't touch this. My, 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 my music hit me so hard. Makes me say, oh my Lord, thank you for blessing me. What am I to run and do Trying to remember when I first heard this song. Do you have a memory? Core memory? I feel like this was just such a big hit and then it was also like the song that everyone loved to hate because MC Hammer was just considered a sellout and super cheesy. But I feel like this far later, it's an undeniable hit. And also I wasn't alive when it came out either. So everything I knew about it was just handed me down from people who lived through it. So for me, I feel like it is an example, almost like discovering uh, cleaners from Venus, like you don't hear it in the time and you discover it later. I feel like I heard it either in like gym class or roller rink or somewhere where like they're pumping people up, maybe like a sports game. I was wondering if he says he keeps saying hyped, but it sounds like he says hyphy. <laughs> Could be. He's from Oakland. Yeah. East Bay legend. This is when he hits the hammer dance in the video. Wow, so I'm reading on Wikipedia. MC Hammer was the bat boy for the Oakland A's for almost 10 years. That's amazing. I think there was some controversy too after this where it's like he kind of got involved in like gangster rap and people were accusing him of, um, of just being a fraud. You better get high, boy, because you know you can't, you can't touch this. It's got like the little like E40. You better get high. <laughs> I'm defending uh, MC Hammer on the podcast. I mean, at this point, this is just undeniable. But I think it's too, as you know, is like hip hop was like an underground rebellious movement. And then this just became a massive global hit. And it's like pretty cheesy. You can't touch this. I mean, I got nothing to hate on it about. You can't touch this. Similar to uh, whoever the guy from Cleaners from Venus, though, I'm pretty sure MC Hammer was selling because uh, he did like his own label, right? Busted Records. Yeah. Another connection was here. Here was going to be the song Knock It by Fishbone. And that's a song. I think it's like another song about sex, but it's like a funk song. Has some funky bass. And the lyrics just gives like, put the hammer to the wall and knock it. Put the hammer to the wall and knock it. So that's what made me think about MC Hammer. And also, since we both said we didn't like the albums we chose, I was thinking, what are some songs that everyone hates? Yeah. But also everyone loves. So this came out in 1990. Yeah, Wiki's 
saying that it was overexposure. I think Which, it just became so big that it just was cheesy. I don't know. It's hard to fault a guy for overexposure. I mean, that's not really his. He's just trying to get his. But also, it's you know, he it's not like he followed it up with 808s and Heartbreak. Some or classics. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I don't know. It's not like Kanye was, and Kanye wasn't even as cheesy. I don't know why I brought up Kanye. Minus five points again. Digging a hole, passing it back. <laughs> I mean, I don't fault him. If you get a lottery ticket, you should cash that in. But, you know, that song does get played a lot. Um, all right. We left off talking about Cleaners from Venus, uh, small town in the summer. And that actually had me thinking, I'm in a small town in the summer. Got me to my next song, which you would mention MC Hammer sampled Super Freak by um, Rick James, which to me, you know, sampling is in its most like flattering terms is a recontextualization of a song for a more present audience. And I think there's a lot of parallels from sampling as well as doing DJ edits, which is the idea that you take a song that has some really great moments and then you can loop it and make like the transitions a lot more playable in a modern dance floor. So here is my summer anthem. This is by originally by the group Laid Back. I think we've maybe talked about them before. They're a Danish 80s electronic pop group. And the song is Fly Away. This is edited by Poolside, which is what I want to be this summer. Hey. That was a long rant, but I do think edits are a lot like sampling. But they get way less hate than sampling. What does edit mean? It's like you take the original song and then you sort of restructure it and like loop certain parts to kind of create a more modern version of it. Do you get access to the stems? No, not usually. So it's like you're just literally taking the final audio file and tinkering. Let's see, I mean, we can listen to both of you want to hear it sort of side by side real quick. I mean, we'll let this play for a bit. I'm also convinced that this song like inspired their entire sound, Poolside sound. I don't know how much you've ever gotten into Poolside. I feel like they're one of those bands that the name perfectly describes. Like you said, how I want to feel this summer. Like you just want to be laying by a pool with this song going. Yeah, I, I saw a wiki called the daytime disco, which is funny. It's a funny phrase. Uh, that's perfect. It's like you're in Vegas. Yeah, it's like not dance time. It's just Poolside. And we're an evergreen podcast, but it's just been, you know, classic June gloom for the past yeah. two months straight. I haven't seen the sun. You're ready to be poolside? When people talk about summer, I'm like, I can't even imagine what summer is, but I would love to be <laughs> poolside. I think also, go back to edits, I think they came out of DJ culture. Where you might make an edit to a song to make it more friendly on a dance set. Mm. 
and even like original DJing, people were. I mean, DJing is kind of editing it, like yeah, creating in certain parts. But then it's almost a different. It's like the next level of DJing is editing, like definitely tracks. Yeah, and like live editing, you know, the really good turntablists can do it live. Yeah, but it's an art form of its own to do it in the studio. All right, so quickly I'll jump to the original, just kind of give you an idea. Because that very much is vibey, right? So they boosted the bass, they slowed it down a little bit, and then they were like... So what's this original? This is the original, so this is like 1983, I would guess. What song is it? It's called Fly Away by Laid Back. So they just found a vinyl and they just... I mean, it's... Yeah, I guess like a beat is a DJ edit, if you want to call it that. Well, so we were talking about, you know, aspects of Fishbone or even Cleaners from Venus that kind of didn't age well. Like the whole idea behind the edit is you would cut out the, the cheesy parts. So like, I'm going to fast forward here and there's, there's parts of this song that just sound a little awkward. Mm-hmm. And so you just snip it out and you just create your own new transitions. So do you think they added like deep drum? They added those kicks? Yeah, I think they boosted the EQ. They just boosted the EQ. They didn't add kicks. Probably. I mean, maybe they added their own kick. I don't know. Yeah. Because I was going to say, like, a lot of even hip-hop beats will just be, you know, like a sample looped and then a 808s or something. See how this is a little, like, elevator music? I don't need this. It's vibey without it. Hey, if anyone out there is listening, cool side, if you're listening, you want to make a DJ edit of our podcast, feel free. (laughs) Cut out all the parts you don't need to hear. The like when I referenced Kanye earlier. Or when I referenced the weather. Alright, dropping back to poolside, we'll close it out. I mean, this is definitely more pleasing to the 2023 year. Yep. I think part of why maybe edits get a little more, um, I guess not, they're not excused, but I think there's a more positive culture around edits because it's very much like you give all the credit to the original artist and it's just like your tag is that you're doing the edit of their song. Right. Yeah. Sampling sometimes gets like completely lost. And it is different than sampling, I guess, too. Whereas like sampling, you might hear all the original instrumentation of another song and not know that's the artist. But I guess those people who sample stuff the best don't do it, obviously. Yeah. Everyone else is a hack. Like MC Hammer. So are you, you a know, big poolside fan? I, I've never gotten too too deep into them, but I definitely can appreciate they're a modern band, you know, doing doing good stuff. This is also the contrast to uh, like the offness we were saying of Fishbone and Cleaners from Venus and that it's very yeah. rigid and clean. Very much in a pocket. Um, now that you mention it, I think that is them adding a synth, that bass synth. Funky bass synth. Five I remember plus. a lot of people in LA at um, radio station I worked at would kind of start 
their music production skills doing edits. And then that would kind of evolve into just doing their own like, original songs. It's like doing a cover. Yep. All right. That's enough of that. I'll pass it back. All we got right. poolside. We were poolside. I was feeling it. It really did put me in that kind of zone. So I appreciate it. Good. But we left off MC Hammer. You can't touch this. Everyone fast forwarded through it. Uh, did you play the Humpty Dance at one point? Digital Underground? I don't think so. I think you might have. Okay, anyways, we don't need to talk about it. But yeah, could have gone that direction. But instead was going with, you know, MC Hammer being a sellout and another 90s band that got popular off Ska, kind of talking about, you know, the racial, I guess, issues of the recording industry led to the white people co-opting Ska throughout the 90s, which was a really interesting phenomenon especially like how we've talked about, you know, what's co-opting, what's not. But I guess the fact is that the white bands got super popular on mainstream radio and stuff like that because the radio wouldn't play people like Mm -hmm. Fishbone. But this is an undeniable hit (laughs) launching into another song people might hate because they've heard it too much. Real Big Fish, Sell Out. That's so good. I almost played them too. That's so funny. <laughs> we don't plan this. Similar Wait, band to Fishbone. Could you pause it? Could you pause it? Yeah. So I'm sitting there listening to Fishbone, and I'm like, "Oh my god, this is the band that gave bands like Real Big Fish the permission to sound the way they did." Exactly. Yep, you were spot on. And also, not to ruin your connections, but before the podcast started you texted something related to an artist. I won't reveal it for the listener. Okay. And then I said, oh, I almost played that song. And you were like, please don't. It's already going to be played. So we we don't plan this, but we give each other albums and then we immediately come up with the exact same connections and the same songs from each album. So I don't know if that means we need to think outside the box or if we're just fused. We got to get a third co-host. Yeah. Well, that's why we need a guest. We're going to bring guests on. Uh, five points, Champaign, Illinois. We were talking about American football last episode and the fighting Illini uh, basketball team or football team band would play this song on horns. I think it's a popular like marching band song. Oh, okay. And I feel like they would. that might have been even how I discovered Fishbone Party at Ground Zero, unless it was in a Tony Hawk game. Great horns on this. Oh yeah. I love that part yeah, though. The break. Little breakdown. So, did you like this song and Real Big Fish? Oh, yeah. I had a huge Real Big Fish phase in high school. Real Big Fish definitely has hits. Amazing, amazing bass player.
my high school band covered beer. Nice. Another that was classic, a fun one. Yeah. yeah, I feel like this is definitely a style of music where bass can have a big influence. Oh, yeah. Just like constantly moving. You almost can't tell it because it's so fast. So it's another thing of, you know, it's a song about not selling out, but it became a huge hit. So it's kind of ironic. Uh, I read an interview with uh, the singer, Aaron Bar- Barrett. He And it was an interview with the guy who wrote In Defense of Ska, another book I read that I think is worth checking out for anyone who likes Ska. Another plug. But basically he said people found their own meaning in the song. Some people thought it was an anthem against selling out. It was really In Defense of Ska Punk because it was like, I guess, another Ska Punk band dance hall crashers from northern california bay area just like mc hammer they got a major label deal and people were criticizing them but it was like you know you got to make money somehow i could just see the trumpet player in my head (laughs) he does the real exaggerated background vocals I read another story that they were saying that the record label that they signed to asked them to deliver the album with no horns because they thought that the radio wouldn't play songs with horns. And they're like, it's kind of what we do. So put on your checkered wrist sweatband, wristband, skank around the pool. To, to weave more webs. Baby, don't you sign that paper tonight, she said. But I can't work in fast food all, all my, my life. life. All right, that's how we got to start the podcast. Yeah. All my life. <laughs> and then go into Casey and JoJo. All my life. So uh, to tie back like to what you. we were talking about with Martin Newell and Cleaners from Venus, um, Real Big yeah. Fish, oh. that turn, off, turn the Radio Off album is... Um, they redid a lot of their songs from their previous album, Everything Sucks, because they had like a major, you know, studio budget. And mm. so I don't know if you've ever heard, but I actually like the the more polished versions than some of the scrappier demos. Yeah, I don't so know. It makes I you wonder. Them. Yeah, makes you wonder. Fishbone got the big studio. Well, I think they did uh, sign to a major label, but yeah, they did. But uh, Cleaners from Venus didn't. Oh, you're talking about the, Yeah, okay, gotcha. But yeah, great. That was super nostalgic. Yeah, undisputed classic that also gets hate. Pass it back. I felt like there was something else I was going to say about Real Big Fish, but I can't think of it. Um, they're Southern California as well, right? Oh, I actually didn't even know that. I mean, I think most of that third wave scars somewhere in Southern California. Wiki says oh. Huntington Beach. I know what I was going to say. Just, yeah, it's a classic thing like Rage Against the Machine of, you know, the song about selling out that becomes a huge hit and like the age old debate of can you be a pure artist 
well then it's like especially i'd say now you know people late stage capitalism is a buzzword and we are an evergreen podcast but it's like you know you got to make money somehow so if you can make money off your songs why not or might That's make money off your music and ride it and i feel like nowadays i see boomers or like generation x boomers saying uh and i i consider myself i identify as a boomer i guess as well in spirit but i see people saying like the concept of selling out doesn't exist anymore because it's like everyone's just on tiktok and they're immediately just sell a product to make money to fund themselves doing art so i don't know yeah i think the world of purity about like selling out and whatever is like not relevant in climate change why because i think it's all about um getting resources so like in the future you mean you think just oh just about you gotta do whatever you can to get resources to survive the coming apocalypse yeah (laughs) can't fault someone yeah but on that note (laughs) (laughs) poolside edit out that transition (laughs) um all right (laughs) you passing it back I shouldn't have got. I shouldn't have remembered what I was gonna say about Fishbone, but yeah, I'm passing it back. No, I guess to elaborate, since I I was sort of a crude way to phrase it. I think in the '90s there was always this purity of like, oh, like everything's fair and just, do things the right way, and I just think that's not the reality we live in. A lot of things aren't fair. Well, we kind of realized that that was a facade, and yeah. that that the bands like who were saying this shit were also. They're kind of hypocrites, even if they maybe do it at the time. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just not going to judge someone on that kind of decision. Like there's so many yeah. bigger problems. Yep. Um, all right. So I'm going here with keeping with the summer theme. We were with laid back flyaway poolside edit. And um, the other thing with summer here in my small town is everything turns green. I'm in a place with seasons unlike California. And that got me to the seminal classic, maybe an album choice for down the line from Brian Eno, Another Green World is the name of the album. And this is Golden Hours. Oh, Casey Musgraves. Casey Musgraves, but could be. Also edit out saying seminal because you're not supposed to say that. Wait, why? I guess because it's it's, uh, patriarchal related to the penis. Like semen? Oh my God, I never knew that. (laughs) <laughs> that's hilarious so right. uh launching my se- semen in i agree though seminal is just a regardless it's a cliche that needs to be retired that's true Let's say formative formative influential brian Eno with his clinky clanky I feel like he's having a bit of a resurgence with uh, Fred again, the popularity of Fred. Fred again. Yeah, I'm sure um, he's introducing him to a lot of younger audiences who've never heard of him. They put out an album together or something, right? Yeah, I think he's his godfather, too. I feel like there is something in kind of electronic. Oh, I didn't know that. Godfather. 
talking about the godmother of talks earlier. You don't yep. this. I was going to say real quick, I know I'm talking over this, but you can pause it if you want. But All right, I'm going to pause it. I'm going to use your John Cale get out of uh, jail card. He's playing viola on this uh, album. Wow. Thousand points. I think Lee wins episode here, especially because I'm interrupting. But I just want to say, I think there's something hip hop and electronic music both are, I guess, you know, postmodern or whatever you want to use that word, where it's like by editing a song or by sampling a song, remixing it, it's like kind of giving credit to or introducing. Ah, that's what all music does. I don't know. All right. Definitely edit that out poolside. Go back in. No, I want, I, I want you to finish the thought. That's basically it. It's just, you know, like giving credit back to other artists, I guess. Both of those genres do that even more. But I guess like rock does it too with like covers, Grateful Dead covering Rolling Stones like we've talked about. So I think all music kind of does it where you kind of, you know, acknowledge your influences and try to introduce new audiences to the music you like. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely at the heart of, of most music experiences, even like DJ sets and this podcast even, you know? Yeah, but I like when uh, it's like, especially I guess when an artist does it so head on, like Fred again and Brian Eno or something, or even like, even Forte and Madlib or Madlib and uh, Ivan Conti. And like it's, or even, I don't know, Eric Clapton and all the blues people he did it with, like no matter what you think of it, I guess like, I don't know, collaborative albums that might introduce fans of one audience to another audience are interesting thing that could be a future theme yeah i like that um also to, to keep talking about brian Eno, he's kind of one of those guru types when it comes to music and i i remember him uh his his sort of conception of music was always that it should feel mysterious to the listener that he likes the idea of, of creating um almost like magic you're wondering how they created those sounds is he like a minimalist too or he's yeah, kind of ambient. He's like the ambient. His, his solo stuff is definitely yeah drifted into to ambient, but very much experimental. He was in Roxy Music, the oh. glam rock band. Oh, um, I didn't know that. So he's like the then, Skrillex you know, of his time. He's produced. Yeah, he's worked with tons of people. U uh, two is one of the famous albums. I think he worked on Joshua Tree. No, a different album. But yeah, he's just collaborated with a ton of different people. David Bowie. David Byrne. All right, launch back the Davids. I could read between Perhaps my brains have turned to Sandomio mine I think it's been an eternity You'd be surprised At my degree of uncertainty Did it that cleaners for Venus. Yep, I hear it for sure. I've seen the evening slide away. So this is nineteen seventy-five, so you know almost ten years earlier than Cleaners for Venus album. Taking over from the fading day.
Also got Robert Fripp on guitar. He's the King Crimson guy. This is almost like some metal shredding guitar, but slowed down. Yeah. Like Slash, Guns N' Roses. carnivalesque here too definitely keep with the theme i've seen the evening slide away watching the signs taking over from the fading day He's got an interesting voice too. Yeah, we should definitely. We'll have to talk about Sid Barrett sometime. I think all of this kind of stems from that late '60s psychedelic pop movement in England. Yeah, he would write songs very much like this. They almost sound like nursery rhymes. Yeah, I don't know if we ever done a Pink Floyd album. I think we did, but we should do it again. John Kill. Yeah, we did the wall. Get out of jail free card. his viola all right i'm gonna go on a quick run here not only did we have john kale but we also had another significant musical contributor to that album and we had talked about recording drums launching into my next song this is phil collins in the air tonight he was also <laughs> did percussion and drums on that Another I almost world. played this one. <laughs> so I learned, I'll uh, say real quick, that um, the way that they got the sound of the drums on this album, on this uh, song, or I guess in, in general with Phil Collins, is they realized that if they used the um, talk back mic that was in the room with the you know musicians, yeah, that they got this really cool punchy sound that they could pair up against. They know, recorded the it on the talkback mic. They used, yeah, one of the stems was the talkback mic recording the drums. And then they used like the original mic. And so it's basically like, do you know what parallel compression is? It's like a, a studio technique where you kind of like have the same sound, but you sort of manipulate it different ways to try to make it sound more textured. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like one of the first sort of uses of that idea. All right. So this Talk isn't about a drum machine that are, at the beginning. This is a drum machine, yeah. Okay. But when it very yeah. Brian Eno esque, maybe also Cleaners from Venus esque. But talk about songs that are overplayed. Maybe this can go on the list. It's great though. It doesn't get old. Yeah, there's a lot of things I wanted to talk about this, so I I figured I would play it. Because forever I didn't know what the heck Eminem was talking about on Stan. You know, he talks about Phil Collins. Yeah. So this, I, uh, talking Phil's. 
a family friend. Shout out to Zach Browning. He was, uh, I think he's retired now, but he was a professor of music at University of Illinois in Champaign, Illinois. Champaign or Bed, Illinois, five points. And he gave a lecture about the golden ratio, which is a mathematical term I don't really understand. But he has this like theory of like the golden section of music. And it's like something about the timing, the placement of the drums when they kick in is obviously like a huge moment. And he thought it was that the, the golden section, like a mathematically precise section, but it turns nice. out it wasn't exactly. <laughs> It is definitely a, a, that sweet spot that we were talking about where you've got sort of experimental strategies aligned with just like pure talent, popular sensibilities. So the golden section is like about two thirds of the way through and that's why it has a big impact. So it's usually like a bridge. It's like the point when you, you want the music to change. I think I'm misinterpreting, but yeah. So I guess he improvised a lot of these lyrics. That's why they're a little disjointed. And so from the lyrics, people kind of created an urban legend that he had seen someone who watched a guy drowning and didn't try to save him. Wow. And then he had a show. At his show, he found him. That's what Eminem says. I saw, oh yeah, Phil Collins in the air tonight. About that guy who yes. <laughs> saw that other guy. And Phil had a show and he found him. <laughs> I saw Phil Collins' daughter at a coffee shop the other day. Wow, I'll give you 100 points. I had no idea who she was, but apparently she's famous in her own right. Yeah, Lily. Yeah. Woo. I remember. Full coder. golden ratio A plus B divided by A equals A over B equals some symbol I have no idea what it is Phi Pi Phi 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 Pi probably no P-H-I Phi there it is golden ratio Get the poolside remix. Yeah, that would be worse. This is an example where we ruin it. I think the bass is underrated here. These drums don't work without that bass. Now, when I'm just listening to the bass, the song gets a lot better. This is another one too where it kind of gives you like poolside it's a vibe you get from it yeah kind of like dreamy so did you know about this urban legend no i didn't either i had no idea what the heck like what eminem was talking about for almost 20 years yeah me neither well i always I get- found it out today I always get Phil Collins and Phil Spector mixed up too. So I always 
think when this comes on, I'm like, oh yeah, this is the guy that killed someone or <laughs> is like in jail for murder or whatever Phil Spector did. Well, I do feel like if you saw a guy drowning and didn't do anything about it, you're still guilty. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Good Samaritan law. It's like the end of Seinfeld <laughs> when they're just standing there as someone gets mugged and they go to jail. Spoiler alert. <laughs> there was a funny quote from Phil Collins about he was performing at Live Aid and Pete Townsend came up to him and said, are you going to do that fucking song again? As it was the only one I ever played. <laughs> was it the only song he ever played? I guess. Because I was going to go into talking about Fishbone and how they got started at Madame Madame Wong's and alongside bands, early seminal punk bands <laughs> like the Zeros, who once played Beat Your Heart, or I forget what the song is, but they played it eight times in a row as, as their whole set, and it's like some legendary set. But if you never listened to them, I hadn't listened to them before today, and I was kind of getting into it. But instead, going from talking about selling outs and Real Big Fish, Ska, kind of linking back around to Fishbone, talking about a band who was started by an Italian guy who was also Scottish somehow, and he moved from China where his fishbone or where his fishbone where his family had a business in Chinese pottery not in selling fish bones but or deboning fish or whatever anyways then he moved to Argentina <laughs> and started I it was it's hard to okay let's launch into it <laughs> give me the gavel this is sumo Divididos por la felicidad. So what's the connection? Ska. Ska. Una mujer. Una mujer atrás. Una mujer atrás de un vidrio empañado. Argentine Ska. Yeah, so this guy was like a white guy or an Italian guy who lived in China, kind of like Madame no. Esther Wong, who moved away from China under wartime conditions after World War II. And Esther Wong moved away after the communist takeover. Un tornado! Un tornado! So I guess Argentina. So then he moved to Argentina to help his friend kick heroin. It was unclear whether he was helping his friend kick heroin or he was kicking heroin, but in like the countryside of Argentina. And then he moved to Buenos Aires and he started playing in this kind of like reggae mix of genres like Fishbone band. And I guess they mostly sung in English lyrics, which was transgressive at the time. Kind of like some of the Czech bands we've talked about, because Argentina was under a military dictatorship. And uh, this song obviously is in Spanish. And like, when he was living in England, the singer is uh, Luca Prodan, Prodan. I don't think I'm pronouncing things right. But he was like a big fan of Joy Division, who I brought up earlier. So Weaving Webs, and um, this album is called 
Divididos por la Felicidad, which I guess is like a kind of a translation of Joy Division. Sure, 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 and sure. this song is called Mejor Mejor No Hablar De Ciertas Cosas Mejor de No Hablar Like it's better not to talk about certain things You hear the fishbone? Totally So I guess he just had a crazy like stage presence too and he just randomly yelled fuck you at the audience and everyone loved it so i guess they were like an underground band who kind of helped form the culture because they weren't getting much play on the radio and they have like another kind of goofy song kind of like fishbone that the translation is dumb blonde i forget how you said that in so for the non-Spanish speakers, this song is like he keeps starting to say something in kind of like a conversational style, and then he yells, "No! It's better not to talk about certain things." got John Cale on viola. <laughs> La mujer, el vidrio, el tornado, jardín primitivo, yo, la flor, saltando, fugitivo, no, no. And he similarly, like, no, we're talking about no, with, um, Cleaners from Venus have sort of like some spoken word parts talking about like people at the pubs and like some songs like this is Argentina and stuff. And so I guess they formed like early 80s and after five or six years he died of a heart attack after their last show. Jeez. What a way to go if it was on like a song like this. Yeah. So it sounds like I didn't really know much about them, but they've got some cool songs if you check them out. Like like I said, a lot of their songs are sung in English, but they're this Argentinian band who just seemed like they crushed it. And a lot of, you know, people commenting nostalgic stuff on YouTube. But it seems like he just this singer, frontman, had just like a really crazy stage presence and kind of helped usher in a wave of punk in the 80s. Definitely got some uh, of that, what is it, No f- Fear or Fear, just the group Fear? Mm. The yeah. New York punk group? Yeah. Well, I Great fear stuff. I must be passing it back or should I go on a run into Cleaners from Venus? Uh, it's however you want to end it, you think you got a closer? I'll go on a run. You went on a run. I want to go on a run. All right. All right. So launching in here, you asked me what Cleaners from Venus song I was going to play. And I was listening through, couldn't decide because I didn't like any of them. And the more I kept listening, I was like, oh, I like all of them. And I was like 
the one I texted you, I just said, this is the one connection here. Luca Prodon into lukewarm love song. Nice. Renaissance Ren Fair to start it off. You know what I just realized? It's kind of like the movie The Wedding Singer. Yeah. But someone doing a bad karaoke version of (laughs) 80s hits. But that's also what makes it good because it is good in its own way. Yeah, the guitars sound better than a karaoke track. And it's also similar to like Heavens and some other emo bands with even American football. Like some of those guitar riffs, if you just played them like a little slower and over different keys, it would be the same. I also like the song, lukewarm love song, and then the repeated chorus, I would not be with you unless I wanted to. Yeah. (laughs) Which is actually like, I feel like, good advice for relationships or for people to say that to people yeah but it's not like I love you so much yeah I do think there's a certain trade off with being like prolific all by yourself requires some amount of degradation and quality it's pretty impressive though that he's doing this all himself whereas like someone like Kanye we talked about him he has you know 40 or 50 people who often contribute to his albums yeah but I'd say he's like you know producer first whereas that's an art of itself is he's producing people oh yeah yeah I'm not taking away just saying yeah takes a lot of minds So it's a bit of a Doom-esque story. He uh, was signed to a major label, had a bad experience, and then kind of retreated and did all of his sort of DIY stuff from there. So that's when he started mailing out his cassettes, and that's how he kind of got known as a cassette person. That's awesome. Should I start making music and mailing out US, USBs? I mean, it could work. <laughs> Yeah, you know, little jangly pop songs. I don't know what this was. I don't know if this is I think it's the out. It's the outro. 
Yeah, really interesting, I guess, especially when you know more of the backstory. So actually, you would ask about a genre. You know, I was just looking on Discord's Discord's Discogs organizes it as power pop, which, now that I think about it, definitely has elements of that. Definitely the guitar tone. Um, but that's sort of like a, a term I've heard for like British pop rocks in, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we'll talk more about that later. So basically he was the soldier boy of the eighties in England. I guess so. Mailing out his cassettes. Yep. All right. Pass it back. All right. Obvious connection here. We were talking about Phil Collins in the air tonight. Launching into the one standout for me. I don't know if this was a hit or not, but I did like In the Air. Definitely had a, you know, potential to be a hit, I would imagine. Funky bass. Very, very Prince-like as well, I thought. And maybe even like Seal. It's not the liars they can't set you free. It's not the riches that you can't foresee. No, it's not the money or the LSD. It's not the powers that be. It's I feel like musically, it's like definitely some Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, yeah. Or I guess they're technically before the Red Hot Chili Peppers, or the contemporaries. I think a little before, maybe, but kind of contemporaries. I might be wrong. So the only thing I could find about Farside is that uh, I think it was an interview with Angela Moore. He had mentioned that uh, Fat Lip came up to him. No, actually, you know what? It was John Norwood. That Fat Lip came up to them, I think, in the parking lot of some venue and said that they really appreciated everything they'd done for LA hip hop. Hmm. And they said at that point, they had never considered themselves a hip hop group and Farside kind of made them aware of their influence in that you know, realm. Because yeah, like the kind of like G-funk. Totally. Almost sound, yeah. And uh, This is also the I'll- Miss You uh, drum beat. Where wow. are you? Thousand points. That's amazing. Dum, 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 ding. They also Travis opened Barker for just the, ripped it. <laughs> they opened for the Beastie Boys in 1987. Yeah, so they had that sort of crossover. Because it's like a fusion of everything. talking about going to to high school in the valley he said there was a definite exchange of cultures we made them conscious of punk and we learned to appreciate aerosmith we taught them that everyone can dance even if it takes some people longer and we learned how to ski and surf that sounds like a great exchange of ideas yeah it's always in the air but it sounds like you know the whole 
busing programs that they did in that time are always crazy to hear about. I mean, more than anything, just totally like un- unrealistic. Like, how you're gonna go from South Central up to the Valley every morning? Yeah, and it's also just like you know, it's similar today. There's in Glendale, even though we're Evergreen Podcast, but in Glendale, there's like parents fighting each other over whether kids should be allowed to state their pr- pronouns in school, and then it's oh, like damn. At, at that time, there's like you know, parents protesting that black kids are coming up to white schools and then white kids going to private schools and stuff like yeah. that. But then when people from different cultures actually interact with each other, then it just leads to an exchange of ideas. Like Growth. Fishbone. Yeah, I mean, that's my thing with, you know, getting mad at someone for selling out. It's just like, you're caring too much what someone else does. Yeah, so we're selling out. We are brought to you by the books I mentioned. Dante Ross, Son of the City, and Brian the other Eno. book I mentioned. No. What'd you say? The Bible? Just brought to you by Brian Eno. We're brought, yeah. <laughs> we are bought and paid for by Brian Eno and the Bible. Also by the Bible. All right, you want to play Gravity, uh, or what is it? Play... No, I don't have it downloaded. Party at Ground right. Zero, but... All right, we'll just use a little laid back. Fade on out of here. But look it up on your own time if you don't know that song. It's a hit. Thanks for listening. <laughs>